Welcome to season four of the Everyday Intuition podcast. In this season, we're going scorched earth on some of the ways the wellness community is really not your friend. If you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm not shy about calling BS on the ways new age thinking sets us up for failure. So this season, we're going to unpack some of the biggest new age myths and misconceptions, which have frankly caused us nothing but mischief, especially to people who are earnestly doing their best to learn about spirituality and use their intuition. I think you deserve real guidance on how to do that. Along the way, we'll continue to pull intuition out of the margins, one hunch at a time. Come join us. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome, if you're new, to the Everyday Intuition Podcast, Season 4, Episode 1. Season 4 is premiering on Valentine's Day, which... Luckily for you, maybe not so luckily for you, is a special day for me because it's my favorite holiday. And I could actually do an entire episode just on Valentine's Day, but I'm a pretty aware person. I pick up on the cues, and I know that for many people, this holiday is annoying. And I am unabashed in my celebrations on this day and my love for this holiday. And so therefore, that would make me very annoying to a lot of you. And I don't really feel like doing that. (laughs) I don't want to be annoying. And I don't want to annoy you. So we're just going to mention it. There is a blog post that I reprise usually every year that you can go digging if you want to find out all the very many ways that I love this holiday and why. I think it makes me a little unique, but I just also want to say that this is one of my happiest days of the year. So that's where I'm coming to you from is just pure joy. I see Valentine's Day as a day, if you strip away all the cultural baggage and the commercialism, it's just a day to be in love with love. And as I've said before, I'm sorry if it gets all over you. I just can't help it. (laughs) I can't. So happy Valentine's Day, and I love you all. But we have serious business to attend to. We're going to begin this season, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're doing, what we're up to this season. We're talking about new age myths and misconceptions. So what I mean by that is that the wellness community and the new age part of the wellness community, I feel has missed the mark and done a lot of disservices over the years because people turn to alternative and new ways of thinking about things, and some of them are actually not that new, to complement the hard work they're doing in a lot of traditional modalities. And what happens is, is that the waters become very shallow and there's a lot of magical thinking. And lately, There's been a lot of conspiracy theories and a lot of actual horribleness and fear. And what happens is is that really good, earnest people who are trying to get better and trying to learn about things like intuition and spirituality end up really underserved by the ways that we talk about those very things. And the things that need to get challenged, like the cultural context around intuition and misogyny and racism and all of the things that kind of prop up a false spirituality or a block 
is probably a better word to spirituality, that never gets addressed. And so it becomes like the vapor in the room. So part of my work in the world is kind of calling that stuff out. And I thought, what better way of doing that than to just go for it (laughs) and talk about those things. One a week, we've got some really good questions that have been submitted to you. I'm always taking your questions and, you know, really wanting to know what you want to know about because I have a lot of information in my brain. And while I'm busy going through it all to share with you, it's pleasurable for me. It's nice to be able to feel like you have specific questions that I can answer. Okay, so let's start with the biggest of them all, one of the hugest myths and misconceptions in the New Age community is that meditation is medication. And what I mean by that is that meditation, which is really good for you, okay? It's good for learning about your intuition. It's good for stress. It's good for your health. I mean, the list of benefits to your life if you meditate is very, very long. That's established. But what the New Age community has done with that is it's equated it to this kind of blissful panacea that there's only one way to meditate, which is sitting practice. And if you do that, everything will magically get better. So it also follows that the more meditation, I almost said it, medication, the more meditation you do, the more spiritually pure you are. So the problem with that is having taught meditation for over three decades, I can tell you that that's simply not true. Meditation is a tool, but it's not a cure for everything. And I've unfortunately seen a lot of people do a lot of damage to themselves because of that belief. And it ends up being a block to their growth. It impedes their emotional health. And it just sends people to a practice that is also not that easy. Sitting practice is difficult. Then it doesn't go so well and they end up feeling like a failure. So the thing about the blissed out feeling is that it actually can be an escape. There's nothing wrong with it, but doing too much of it and avoiding the work of integrating all of your feelings and learning about what intuition really is and establishing a sense of your spiritual self that is actually authentic is the work of a lifetime, by the way. It doesn't just happen at a retreat where you're meditating all day or even an hour a day. And you can actually become addicted to meditation. And there are people that really feel like they have to prove that they're working really hard on their spirituality. And I simply don't believe that that is the way that the hard work happens. The hard work of developing a spiritual life, and intuition is a subset of that, is really opening up to the concept that there is a higher power in the universe. And for many people, that's going to mean all kinds of different things. It can be a God concept. It can be not believing in God, but believing in a higher truth. It can be believing in the ultimate good that is in the universe that is shared by everyone. And it can also be religion. But the hard work of a spiritual practice is basically just living by spiritual principles and learning what those really are. 
And it's also being smart and aware of where our institutions might be reinforcing beliefs that are misogynistic or racist or, you know, homophobic too. So as long as you have that intention in your heart that you want to be a spiritual person not defined by dogma, that's going to be hard enough. You do not need to be devoted to mindfulness in a way that actually ends up checking you out. The other problem that I have with this is that we don't really realize that there are many types of meditation. There are different kinds. And you do not need to do hours and hours of it. You don't even need to do an hour of it a day to experience the benefits from it. Okay, so shameless plug, I don't have enough time on the podcast to go into all of the ways that we can meditate. But I do have a course (laughs) on my website that goes into that in great detail. And it centers around different ways that you're probably already meditating and you might not realize it. Any activity that we do that brings us to the moment, and that can be through exercise, it can be through creativity, it can be through pleasure and enjoyment. There are lots of ways in which that kind of connection actually connects us to the higher energies in the universe. One of the benefits of meditation is that it can actually help us get centered in a way that we become quiet enough that our truth about our emotions, about our issues, about things that we might have been running from, about things that we actually know, and also, you can hear it, what I'm about to say, our intuition operates in that space of knowing and truth. So that's why I recommend it. But that's the thing that could actually make meditation really uncomfortable for a lot of people. So if you're meditating just to gloss over all of that and just feel good all the time, you're going to miss actually one of the benefits of the tool of meditation. And the other thing that I think we really need to say out loud is that meditation is a tool that helps with calmness, with health, with perspective, but most importantly, it creates a different lived reality that is separate from being anxious and afraid. And because so many of our challenges and our issues have to do with being afraid and being anxious and confusing that with intuition and newsflash, it's not, right? We've been talking about this for a while. Having that foundation or that safe place to go to where you can experience yourself without fear is really, really important. But that is also one of the ways that meditation is very challenging because I tend to think that the only way out is through and learning to tolerate our feelings of fear is one of the only ways that we can dissipate that fear and then get to our intuition. So I have a couple stories about meditation and how it can be misused and how we have these beliefs about what it's supposed to do for us and what we're supposed to be doing in the background that can sometimes come to the surface. So the first one is early on in my career, I taught once a week a meditation class for like a lunch bunch at a workplace. And it was part of like, you know, back in the 90s when it was getting more popular for workplaces to be somewhat concerned about your well-being. (laughs) I think we're still working on that. These people who worked there would come 
and we would sit for an hour and I would talk a little bit about meditation and then everyone finished their lunch and then we'd do it. And I would lead them through the meditation. And the group kind of shrank a little bit as the class offering went on over the weeks, but there was this core group and they were rock stars. You know, they were bringing their meditation practice at home and it was going really well. And then one of the women came up to me after the class and said, you know, I'm going to have to drop out because I can't meditate anymore. I was meditating every day, sometimes for, you know, a really long time and I can't do it. I sit down and my brain just starts going a mile a minute. I get anxious and I just have to get up. I've lost my ability to meditate. And I asked her, what's going on in your life right now? And it turns out that she had a little girl who was five years old who had to have surgery on her heart to correct a defect. I literally wanted to throw my arms around her and just give her the biggest hug. She started crying. I held her hand and I explained to her that there are times in our lives when we have so much going on and are so stressed and understandably emotional that the kind of sitting practice that she was used to doing was not going to cut it and in fact could end up just being a form of torture. You know, I can't think of anything scarier than having your only child need a very serious surgery like that. And so what I told her to do surprised her, but I said, I want you to stop meditating. I still want you to sit down when you normally would meditate. And I want you to set a timer for five minutes, close your eyes. And all I want you to do is breathe in and out for that time. And when you are able to drop back down into that highly sensitive state, you will return to the meditation practice that you're used to. And also in the meantime, consider that there are other forms that you would benefit from. But see, this is what we do to ourselves. You know, we really torture ourselves and we expect way too much. This idea that we have to rise above everything and not feel things that we're going through is absolutely unrealistic and not helpful. The second story is just an anecdote. I've had a couple clients over the years that have been in relationships with partners that have disappeared into their meditation practice to where they require that they meditate for hours a day. Now, I believe that this is a cover for some emotional and mental health issues that are not being addressed. You can't live your life if you have to sit in meditation for that long. There's nothing that requires that much contemplation. And I think that in a case like this, what we're talking about is just being lost to an addiction on that blissful feeling. And again, it really doesn't do anything. All it does is absent you from the potential joy of the things that you could be engaged with in life. So careful. You really don't have to meditate for more than 20 minutes a day in sitting practice to get all the benefits from it. And, you know, maybe when I have more time, I can <laughs> go on at some length to how meditation communities are structured in ways that set you up to fail because they expect that your lived experience during meditation is actually one that avoids the things that you're wrestling with. And I know that this is a very blanket statement, 
but it's really what I think. Learning to meditate so that you can hear the voice of your intuition and you can accept yourself as an intuitive person is critical for your intuitive development and your relationship with your intuition. But what it's not is a trial and it's not proof and it isn't therapeutic instantly. It will actually put you in touch with some of the more unresolved issues in your life. So you need to have other things in place that will help support your emotional and mental health. Rant over. Okay. When we come back, I'm going to answer our first question of the season. We got a really, really interesting question from a listener who's concerned about learning to identify when she's anxious or afraid and learning how not to listen or try to even listen to her intuition during those times. But she has an interesting phobia and wanted to know if she could apply the same guidance to that. Hey, did you know I have online courses you can take? My most recent course just launched. It's called Intuitive Meditation, A Course for Everyone. And by the way, I do mean everyone. It's a self-paced, downloadable course that includes eight daily lessons and three recorded meditations to jumpstart your learning. The course helps you build a foundation for a grounded meditation practice that you can actually do. Meditation won't train you to shoot laser beams out of your eyes, but it can help you be the most authentic version of yourself liberate yourself from soul-crushing stress, consistently connect you to your intuition, and teach you how to trust it. Intuition is our most natural resource, and meditation done consistently easily unlocks its power. This course will show you how. And guys, I'm really sorry about the laser beams. I really wanted that for us. So have any of you guys ever heard of a phobia that's called, and I want to be careful about how I pronounce this, emetophobia. This is the phobia that happens where if you're around someone who's sick to their stomach, like if you see or hear someone who vomits, it causes a tremendous amount of panic and anxiety. And so the fear of vomiting or the stomach flu can become obsessive and it takes on a life of their own. So Jamie wrote out to me and said, I'm wondering if there's some nuance to applying rules about how to tune into your intuition that are a little different from having a run-of-the-mill anxiety disorder. So we had a really great chat about it. And what I was telling her is that I don't think so. You guys have heard me say over and over again that anxiety and fear are the number one block to your intuition. So you have to become aware of when you're anxious because our natural instinct is to reach out for our intuition to guide us and comfort us when we're feeling off like that. And that is the time when you shouldn't do that at all. So what we talked about is the same kind of rules apply for self-care with your mental health. And that is you have to get your brain at its fighting weight. You have to get your brain balanced. And to do that, the most important thing is just to face it. You know, if you have an anxiety disorder, or if you're having a tremendous amount of panic, then 
reach out to your resources and make sure that you're not in denial about it. And you're doing the things that a person with a high level of anxiety or certain triggers needs to do to take care of themselves. That's also where meditation comes in. Because that lived experience of being calm is going to be one of the biggest tools in that arsenal. And then the number one rule is when you are triggered, when you know you're wound, when you're anxious, when you're going through obsessive loop thinking, trying to solve problems, like your first responsibility is to calm down. And even if it takes a little while, right? Like maybe on the days when you're triggered, you say, okay, it's not today at all. And you wait a few hours. Or if you can recognize that it's happening and get yourself centered and you really trust, okay, I'm feeling calm, then you can summon an intuitive response. I think that intuition tends to sneak up on us because it's looking for that neutral or calm or secure moment, right? That's why a lot of people describe having an intuitive moment while they're folding laundry or doing something completely different. It just kind of comes unbidden. And that's because it's trying to get in clean and not be colored by that scared filter, which is very pervasive, right? A lot of people in our culture also really see that intuition is something to be scared of. So when they're having intuitive experiences, even if they didn't start out anxious, they suddenly get anxious because they're interpreting everything that they're feeling through a very fearful lens. So it kind of gets you coming and going, but there is hope. It doesn't matter how anxious a person you are, how many anxiety-ridden moments you have in your life. You can train yourself to just not listen to the fear. And you'll begin to see your intuitive voice has a very different tone. It makes you feel calmer and more grounded. And it's usually pretty simple. It doesn't need a lot of words. I almost said, instead of intuitive voice, I almost said intuishy. So I just want you to know that that's a very beloved phrase from a good friend of mine. It's your tush, but your intuitive tush. And it kind of goes along with not feeling like you have to save your ass in your face at the same time, being egoless, just really being in unconditional respect and approval of yourself, which, by the way, is also a benefit of meditation. So listen to your intuition, shoot your questions at me. Remember, if you're anxious, that's not the time. And also remember, you just need about 20 minutes a day of of meditation, sitting practice meditation to get all of this into your bones. So I love you guys. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope you're doing something really fun and that you have lots of people in your life that you can love on and that can love on you. And I'll see you next time. And that's it for this episode of Everyday Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you use. It's the best way for other people to find it, and we so appreciate you helping us get the word out. Also, we love your shares on Instagram and Facebook about what you loved, something that made a difference for you in your life, or an aha moment. Remember to tag me at Susan Gorman Intuitive and use the hashtag EverydayIntuitionPodcast. 
Thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks.